God, for whom nothing is impossible, is worthy of our faith and obedient acceptance. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, folks, how many of you have heard this expression that God showed up for you? You were concerned about something and then God just showed up. How many of you have heard that expression or used that or said that before? You had a difficult issue, a, a trying circumstance, and then all of a sudden, there was God. He showed up right then and there and addressed it right there on the spot. You know, I had a situation like that this past week, something that as I look back on it now, I say, okay, why was I fretting about that? How many of you have found yourself doing that? It's like, I know I've preached this message, and yet here I was just kind of like, I'm not sure how this is going to go, kind of fretting about it. And then, you know what? God showed up. God showed up. And it's like, okay, why was I fretting about that, right? Well, I wonder, do you, do you need God to show up here today for you? Maybe you have a, a need, a concern, a, a problem, and you need God to show up and address that right now. Well, you know, Christmas is a celebration of God showing up in our world, isn't it? He literally showed up here, didn't it, in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he showed up in Bethlehem, we can turn to him now. He came into this world in order to carry out our greatest need, which was securing our redemption, our salvation, through his perfect life, sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. But I wonder, as we sit here today, do you need God then to show up for you? But I must caution you, though. You see, God does show up, but it may not always be when we want it, is it? Or it may not always be how we want it. In fact, it has been my experience that when God shows up, oftentimes it is not when I want it or how I want it, but then I come to say, ah, he knew better than me all along, didn't he? So it may not be when you want, it may not be how you want. And here's the other thing I've learned as well. It may be the case that when God shows up, it may very well require something of you. It may require that you be inconvenienced in some way. It may require that you even have to perhaps sacrifice something. But whatever it is, I guarantee you, he will show up. And that's something we're going to see. We just sung, Mary, did you know? Did Mary really know all that, that the price that she was going to pay when God showed up uh, with her and for her? We're going to look at that today. So for Christmas this year, we've been looking at God's grand story, the Christmas that we see the God's grand story, his big story of, of history is this, of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, that God made us in his image, made us to be in relationship with him. But we fell into sin. We rebelled against God. We turned away from God. And God then sent a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to redeem us, to buy us back from sin and death. 
And then one day he is coming again and he will restore all things, make all things new. That is God's grand story of human history. And we said Christmas is kind of the story within the grand story. It's that time when he showed up, when he came into this world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ then in order to bring eternal redemption for us. And so for today, we are looking at the story of Mary The story of Mary, looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And what's the big idea? What is the main thought that I want us to take away? It is this, that God, for whom nothing is impossible, is worthy of our faith and obedient acceptance. That God, for whom nothing is impossible, is worthy of our faith and our obedient acceptance. A little context here that Luke is compiling a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, as he says. And it is likely, where, where, did, Luke, where did Luke get this information as he's writing this, these events here? Well, it's very likely that he got these events here in our scripture today from Mary herself. Wouldn't that be something? Well, that'd be quite a source. But you talk about an A source then, right? A primary source. That is great then for that. Um, And we see earlier how the angel Gabriel would come to her. When we see the angel Gabriel, we know of at least uh, uh, three persons to whom he came. One was to Daniel, to Daniel. And we saw how he brought a message. He helped Daniel to understand the vision that he had received then. So we saw his interactions then with, with Daniel. But then also, though, in the Gospel of Luke earlier, we see how he came to a priest in the temple named Zechariah, who was married to a woman named Elizabeth. And he had a message for Zechariah that Elizabeth, who was beyond her childbearing years, was going to bear a son and that they were going to name him John. He would be the forerunner to the Messiah, John the Baptist, as we know him. And did Zechariah just say, oh, that's wonderful. I believe, I believe. No, he didn't, right? He did not believe. And so he was struck with silence until John then was born. Some wondered, perhaps it was Gabriel who appeared to Joseph as well. But we don't know that for sure. We're simply told that it was an angel that appeared to Joseph as well later. It may have been Gabriel, but we don't know. We're not told that. So what is the story then of Mary? Well, her husband Joseph was of the royal line of David, and and she was likely as well. Uh, Tradition tells us that her parents were Joachim of Nazareth and Anna of Bethlehem, that she had a relative named Elizabeth who gave birth then to John the Baptist. Uh, We also know that she had a sister, And some have speculated that perhaps this sister was a woman named Salome, who was the wife of Zebedee. And if you recognize that Zebedee, Zebedee had two sons, James and John, right? And so if Salome, who was the wife of Zebedee, was the sister of Mary, then that makes then that James and John then were Mary's nephews. And also then Jesus, James and John, they were, were what? cousins then. Uh, She was brought up in Nazareth, a small town in the north of Galilee, which many of you know was a little town that did not have the best of reputations there. Uh, As was the custom then, she was betrothed as a young woman. 
Uh, she would have probably about 15 years old. You know, oftentimes we think of Mary, we see this adult woman, but no, she was a teenager, probably 14, 15 years old then. Uh, her older relative, Elizabeth, who was beyond childbearing years, suddenly received this news that she was to bear a son whose name was to be John. And John, of course, would be the forerunner to Messiah, whom Mary herself then would be bearing. She did not know that yet. When Elizabeth was about six months along, Mary herself then received some amazing news. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. We're told, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So here we see a troubling greeting, a troubling greeting. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Many of you know this, have heard this before, but some maybe this is a new thought here for you. Uh, To be betrothed was a very serious and legally binding formal engagement process. We say being betrothed would be something like our, our custom of engaging, being engaged to someone. But it really wasn't that. It was far more than that. There was much more to it. Engagement in our culture is what? Is something you announce an intention to marry, and, well, you may or may not you know, marry. Engagements get broken, right? Well, betrothal is a far more serious thing than that. There is a process that was involved in that, first of all, a declaration. The declaration was made by the groom to the prospective bride in the presence of witnesses. A gift then, a gift was then given to her as a pledge or a promise, if you will, that the marriage would later be consummated. 
And from that time forward, that couple would be considered and called husband and wife. Now, they would not yet live together. They would not consummate the marriage. But they would live separate for a time, but they would be considered and called husband and wife. And that betrothal could be broken only by a formal divorce procedure. So Mary and Joseph, they had were betrothed to one another. Mary had received a, a gift indicating a pledge on the part of Joseph that he would later consummate the marriage with her. But they were living in that period of time when they were apart from one another. Oftentimes it was usually about a year, about a year. So they would live separately then, not consummate the marriage. And after about a year or so then, the husband would come unannounced for his bride. She would not know when he was coming. He would come unannounced and take her then to be with him where they would live together in their new home. And isn't this, when you think about that, how that worked, what a beautiful picture that is of Christ and the church, isn't it? Where you have a declaration and intention. You have a gift which is given as a pledge. What is the gift that God has given us as a pledge to bring to fruition all that he has promised? The Holy Spirit is that gift, that pledge, that down payment, right? But then the bride and the groom, they would live apart for a while. But then the husband, the groom would come unannounced suddenly to take the, take the bride home. Isn't that a beautiful picture then of Christ and the church? So Mary then is living in, in her own home, formally betrothed to Joseph, considered husband and wife, but they not consummated the marriage. They did not live together yet. One day, this angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, let me ask you, if you were in Mary's place here, and one day, all of a sudden, this angel appears to you and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. How do you think you might have responded or reacted to that? I think I'd probably be a little freaked out. Anybody else here be a little bit freaked out? Well, Mary was too. Well, first of all, just because of the sight of an angel. You know, again, I know how we often see, like in TV and cartoons and movies, oftentimes the angels are right, these, these very cuddly characters or friendly looking characters, right? But whenever we see an angelic appearance in the scripture, inevitably, what are the first words out of the angel's mouth? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not, right? Because of this overwhelming presence of power. And so she sees this angel, and she's a little freaked out. But I think it's not just because of the, only because of the fearsome sight of the angel and, what Gabriel, and, and the appearance of Gabriel. But I think she was also a little troubled, though, by the greeting itself, by what he had said to her. He said to her, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She said, what, what? How how am I favored? How is the Lord with how how is the Lord with me? I think this was a response on Mary's part. It was a humble response. Like me, you're talking to me. I'm a favored one. The Lord is with me. What what does the Lord want of me? She's troubled by this, trying to figure this out. How can I be favored? 
Well, the angel then gives her an astounding message. Tells her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with the Lord. Now, you might wonder, what what was it about Mary? Now, God could have selected any number of young women who would bear the Messiah, but he selected, he chose Mary. Why? Well, I think it was because of her character. She was a godly young woman. Her character, her obedience, her faith, God knew all of these things about her. And if you wonder, if you go on a little bit further and you read her song, Mary's song, the Magnificat, you see this is a very godly, mature young woman, isn't it? And so we shouldn't be surprised that Mary would be the one that he would choose. So he says, you have found favor with God. But then she's told that she was going to give birth to a child. And she understood that the angel wasn't saying, you and your husband Joseph are going to have a child in the normal, natural way. She understood this was going to be apart from that. She was going to have a child without a man. That's why she says, well, how am I going to become pregnant when I'm a virgin? How can this be? How can this be? So she said, you will be with child. And this child you have, you are going to call him Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? God saves. The Lord is salvation. Pretty appropriate name for him, don't you think? The Lord is salvation, or God saves. So she would call him Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. And he would be the long-awaited Messiah, the Deliverer. This is something that the, the Jewish people had been waiting long for, waiting for Messiah to come. And now this young woman, Mary, is told, you are going to bear the Messiah. And by the way, you're going to do it, Mary, as a virgin. Hmm. That's a pretty astounding message, isn't it? First of all, just that you're going to have a child as a virgin. But also, though, this child will be the Messiah, the Deliverer. And he's not going to be just a regular, normal baby, human baby. He would be called, what? The Son of God, the Son of the Most High. He would be God in the flesh. And he, this child, he would be given the throne of his father, David. Wait a minute, who, his father, David? David had lived hundreds of years before. How was it? Well, what? He would be a descendant. He would be a descendant of David. Which, of course, had been prophesied, hadn't it? Long, long before, God had made a covenant with David and told him, that there would be one who would come after him, who would inherit the throne, inherit David's throne. But this one who inherited David's throne, he would reign on that throne for how long? Forever and ever. You know, we just recently here, and don't ask me, this just came to mind, so I don't remember the exact number, 
But just recently here, Queen Elizabeth II had passed away, and she was like the, the longest reigning monarch, maybe ever, I think, right? Or, and certainly one of. And I don't remember how many was it, like 70-some years or, or something like that. Uh, but a, a very long reign. That's a long time for a king or a queen to rule. Well, but this one, how about forever? Would rule forever. Pretty amazing, isn't it? So, Mary, you, a virgin, are going to have a baby. You're going to name him Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the Deliverer. He would be called the Son of the Most High. He is God. And he would be given the throne of his David. He's going to be, he is that promised king. And his kingdom will have no end. He will rule forever. That's an astounding message, isn't it? So if you were Mary, how again, how do you think you might be thinking or feeling at this point, right? You're astounded, you're troubled by this greeting, and then you're told this astounding message then. And so she wonders, how? How can this be? How, how, how can I have a baby? How can I, a virgin, become pregnant? Well, she's given an answer about God's power, an all-powerful answer. Gabriel told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, that he would overshadow her, that the power of God would come over her, and she would conceive and that the child would be called Holy, the Son of God. You know, I'm often astounded by, some people get really tripped up by this idea of the virgin birth. How do you see that? Oh, they're, they're scoffing. Oh, yeah, right, a virgin, a virgin birth. And yet, I, I, I say, why do people get tripped up about the doctrine of the virgin birth when you consider, okay, if God is God, and if God created everything everything out of nothing by the power of his word. What is so hard about the idea of the power of God causing a young woman, a virgin, to conceive by his power in that way? Am I the only one that just is astounded by how people tri get tripped up over that? I mean, you, okay, you say you believe in God, you say, you know, that, but, but you don't believe in a virgin birth. It's like, okay. Something that isn't computing here with me, you know, on that. Like, as if that's too hard for God to do. Really? Right? So, this one then, how, so how will this be, Mary? Well, by the power of God. Nothing is impossible with him. So he, she would conceive by the power of God. And this would happen, so what? So that he would be without sin. But that's one of the reasons why the virgin birth, that doctrine is so important, is it was because it was protecting Jesus from the taint of sin, of inherited sin in Adam, and the corruption and guilt that comes from that. He would be free from that. And how would all this happen? Well, by the power of God, for nothing is impossible with God. God can do all that he purposes to do, can't he? How would you have responded? How might I? 
Well, we see how Mary responds, and I think it's instructive for us. It was an obedient response, a response of faith, trust, and obedience to what God had said. I'm sure that Mary did not understand it all. She would ponder these things later, wouldn't she? She did not understand it all, but she responded, though, with faith and obedience. Even though she was told that it would bring difficulty and pain for her, she responded with faith and obedience, saying what? I am the may it then may it be. I am the Lord's servant. And what a very courageous statement that was. Because with that would come ridicule, rejection, the fear of abandonment, poverty, disgrace, all of that. But Mary embraced and said, what? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you say. I think through Mary, we learn some things. I think through Mary's example here that first off, we learn that being a servant of God means saying yes to him no matter what. Being a servant doesn't mean, God, I'm, I will be your servant. I will obey you if it's convenient for me or if it works out to my advantage in some way that I can see immediately. No, it's no matter what. Being a servant means saying yes to God no matter what. Second, God's servants are often just ordinary people through whom God accomplishes the extraordinary. She was an ordinary young woman through whom God accomplished the extraordinary. Third is, I think it is normal, it's normal to be a little confused about trying to understand the ways and the purposes of God. I don't think this all made perfect sense to Mary at the time, but nevertheless she submitted to the will of God in this. The fourth then is what? That absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible with God. It is all that that is in alignment with God's holy nature and will. Is Somebody say, well, nothing's impossible. What do you mean? Well, God can't lie. Well, no, God can't lie. There are, there are things that God can't do, right? God cannot sin. God can't lie. God can't do something which violates his holy character, can he? But within the context of his holy character, is there anything that God cannot do? Anything that he purposes? Nothing is impossible with God. So a final thing we learn from Mary's example here is that the proper response then to God is submission to his purposes no matter what, no matter what may come. So as we reflect there for a moment on this story of Mary this morning, I want us to note three key elements in these events here, three key elements in this story here. And they are power, faith, and obedience. I want us to know the power of God in this, the power, the superabundance of God's power, that there is nothing that is impossible for him, that he can and will accomplish all 
that he purposes to do, the superabundance of God's power. The second thing then is faith, faith, the confidence and assurance in the power and character of God that is faith. Faith is confidence and assurance in the power and the character of God. God can do what he says he will do. He will do what he says he will do. Power, faith, and then obedience. The wisdom of obedience. It is wise to trust God and to obey God no matter what. Power, faith, and obedience. I want us to look for just a moment here at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. We're told, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And was that true in Mary's day? Was that true 500 years ago? Is it true today? Yes, it is, throughout all generations. So we see here the abundance, the abundance of God's power, that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. Do you need to ask something of God today? His power, the Spirit, is at work within us. How powerful is God? Ever think of that? Just reflect on that. How powerful is God? Nothing is impossible for him, is it? Well, I want to share something that I have shared with you. If you've been coming to this church for a while, you've, you've heard this before. And so I'm going to beg your indulgence to listen to it once again. I never get tired of thinking about it, though. So maybe you'll like thinking about it again. But if you're newer to the church, you may not have heard this. I want to share something that I think is a, a wonderful illustration of the power of God. How powerful is God? Well, let me give you just one little example of the power of God, just to kind of get our minds thinking, and I, and I pray expanding in our appreciation and understanding of the power of God and what God can do, okay? And that is, you know, when God created all things out of nothing, I know we say that kind of glibly, but just think about that, all right? One of the things that God created was that star we call the sun, right? You ever thought about how much power is just emanating or radiating off of the sun? Did you know that every two seconds, so that's one, two, and that amount of time, every two seconds, the sun radiates or emits enough power, enough energy that would fulfill all human needs to run human civilization for a million years. Think about that. Think about how much power it takes to run civilization. And that every two seconds, enough power, it's just floating out into space from the sun. That's how much power is being generated by that one star, the sun. A million years, every two seconds. So that's one star. How many stars are there? Hundreds of billions in our galaxy. How many galaxies? 
hundreds of billions of galaxies, okay? Now think about the sun then. Here's one star. And the sun is actually, as stars go, a very average star. You know, there are stars that are much larger than our sun. How much larger? Ten times bigger? Hundred times bigger? Thousand times bigger? No. Did you know that the largest star that we have found to date in our galaxy is called Stevenson 218? How many times bigger is Stevenson 218 than our sun? About 10 billion, with a B, times bigger. In other words, you could put 10 billion of our suns in that one star, Stevenson 218. Now, when you think about how much energy is coming from our little sun, Stevenson 218, which is 10 billion times larger, how much energy do you think that star is producing? And you know what? Those are two stars in our galaxy out of hundreds of billions, and our galaxy is one galaxy of hundreds of billions of galaxies. Who's the source of all of that power? Who created all of that? God. And how did he do it? By simply what? Speaking it into existence. That's the power of God. Now I ask you, is God powerful? And then some. What can God do? What can God speak into your life? Is anything too hard for him? Now I know somebody's thinking, okay, all right. I believe God does have the power to do whatever he wills in my life. He has the power to show up for me, to handle my issue, whatever it is. Yes, yes, I believe that. But here's the critical question. Will he? He can, but will he? Well, that's where faith comes in, right? You know this passage, Hebrews 11? How, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is what? impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The abundance of God's power, the assurance of faith. The assurance of what is faith? It's assurance and confidence of things hoped for and things not seen, conviction and confidence, assurance. That God is going to do all that he said he will do. That God can do things, all this, even though we cannot see God, we cannot see him, can we? Confidence, faith is confidence and assurance in God's power and God's character. How much power? 
while the power that, as we saw right there, the universe was created by the word of God. He spoke it into existence out of nothing. We see two examples, Abel and Enoch. Abel trusted God. What happened to Abel? He was murdered by his brother. The man who trusted God was murdered by his brother, but nevertheless, God commended him. Do you think Abel regrets his trust in God now? No. He's with, where is he? He's with God, right? So you have Abel here. He trusted in God, and he was murdered by his brother. Then over here you have Enoch. Enoch, he what? He walked with God, and God did what? God was so pleased with him, God did what? He, he was no more. He was translated. He was taken up. He never physically died. God just took him to himself. So what does this tell about our circumstances? The one trusted God, and his brother murdered him. The other trusted God, and he was taken up. We don't know what might await us in this life, do we? Read the rest of Hebrews 11. That's a story of great wonder and power and victories. On the other hand, through people of faith, and on the other hand, what? People who had faith who, what? Were destitute, wandering, sawn in half in a log. How would you like to die that way for your faith? But they were all commended by God for their faith because life is not just about here and now, is it? Life is forever. So we're told then, we don't know the circumstances. We don't know what God purposes or intends to do. But he wants us to trust him. And he tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must believe that he exists, that is, that he is there, that he is all that he says he is, that he's revealed himself to be, and that what? He rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that, that God rewards those who seek him? Have you experienced that? Does that mean our life circumstances are always ideal? No. In fact, sometimes it might mean we endure hardship because we're seeking him, right? But are you going to regret that in eternity? No, you won't, I won't. So the abundance of God's power, the assurance of faith, and then the wisdom of obedience, it's smart to trust God, to obey God. Matthew 7, Jesus has completed his sermon on the mountain. He concludes with these words, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The wisdom of obedience. Hear his words and do them. What? Obey them. Those who hear his words, trust him, obey him. Their lives are like a house built on the rock. You notice that the rain and the floods and the winds still came, didn't they? And they beat against that house. But it didn't ultimately collapse. Why? Because it was built on the rock. 
Can I promise you that if you faithfully follow Jesus, there will not be any rain in your life. There will be no floods. No wind will blow against you. No, I can't promise you that. And Scripture makes it very clear. You should expect it, and I should expect that, right? But the point is what? Your house still stands. But the person whose life is built on the, whose house is built on the sand, well, those same rain and floods and winds are going to come against them. And ultimately, what's going to happen? The whole thing is going to come crashing down because it's built on a flimsy foundation. What is the sand? What is the flimsy foundation? The world, human ingenuity, human wisdom, human thinking. Separation from God. Right? That's the sand. And some people, their houses look really great right now. And maybe you're even a little envious. Have anybody ever been a little envious of somebody else's house and that? Well, maybe you look at somebody else's life and they're not a believer. And you think, boy, that, that, that house looks a lot better than mine. Their, their life looks better than mine in my circumstances. Well, guess what? One day, it's going to come down, isn't it? You will not regret trusting God and obeying him. Don't build your life on shifting sand that will ultimately fail you. So what? I think we see this example of Mary today, that God, for whom nothing is impossible, is worthy of our faith and our obedient acceptance, just as she did. Did she understand it all? No. But she trusted and she said, may it be to me, I am your servant, I am the servant of the Lord, may it be to me as you say. So do you believe God can do the humanly impossible? Can he do the impossible for you in your life? Do not make the mistake as some people do. I know I've never made this mistake, but I've heard some people. Don't make the mistake of saying, well, God can do the impossible that then we write up our list here and our agenda and say, here you go, God, do this. And we mean do it right now, my way, right? That's a mistake. Good luck with that one, right? But can we lift up before him all of our needs and our concerns and our desires and entrust ourselves to him in those things? Yes. Do you believe that God can do the humanly impossible? Do you believe that God can do the humanly impossible for you? Somebody else, yeah, yeah, God can do that in their life, but what about me? No, can you believe it that he can do that for you? Will you then, will you obey him and will you accept whatever may come? Did Mary understand everything that was coming her way? No, she didn't. But she said what? I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me as you say. May we embrace the will of God, accepting whatever may come. Because that is wisdom, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this example that we have in your word here of this young woman, Mary, who did not know all that was going to come to her, the pain that she would endure but also the Lord, the great joy and the wonder. We thank you for her and thank you for her example for us, Lord. 
May we emulate that example in our lives. Or maybe there's someone here who needs you to show up for them right now. You know what's happening. You know their need. We thank you, Lord, that you showed up in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who obtained and paid the price for our eternal redemption, who stood in our place. He stood in as our second Adam, who obeyed your word, passed that test, was righteous and holy, who then went willingly to the cross where he suffered for us, took the punishment for our sins. He died and it was buried, but he rose again in victory and triumph. And he's coming again to make all things new. Lord, we celebrate at Christmas his coming into the world when he showed up. And I pray, Lord, that for this person now who's saying, Lord, I need you. I need you to show up. That that person would entrust himself, herself into your hands. That you would address that need or that concern. Maybe it is the need to be in a right relationship with you. Maybe it's the, the need to receive that gift of redemption, of salvation. To no longer be under judgment for sin, but to be forgiven of that sin through faith in Jesus. And to receive the gift of eternal life and perfect righteousness through faith in Jesus. May your spirit show up today in that person's heart. Convict them. Regenerate them. May they turn to you in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And maybe there's someone here who does, does believe, Lord, has been following you, but they're undergoing some seemingly impossible situation right now, God. God, would you show up for that person? And while that may not be exactly what we might want or think or when, may that person have the comfort and the assurance that you will show up, Lord, and that you will work your will in and through that ultimately for their eternal good. We entrust ourselves now into your hands for that, Lord. Thank you for our Savior. May we follow him with gratitude for his power entrusting ourselves, Lord, to him and embracing obedience, knowing that is a life of wisdom that is built on the solid rock. And it is in the name of the solid rock, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org. 